So I want to begin with a story this morning. Uh, it's a story of a little girl, a little girl who was in her bedroom uh, having a pretend tea party. And she was getting all of her plastic cups and her plastic saucers out uh, in her bedroom. She had this bowl of water beside her. She was pouring the water into the cups and pretending that it was a tea party. Her father came home from work and she was delighted to see him. She rushed up to him and said, Daddy, Daddy, come and join me at my tea party. The father was a bit tired, but he thought, I'd better go along with this. Uh, joined her at the tea party, sat down amongst all of the dolls and the toys and all the rest of it. She pretended to be the waitress serving him tea in a little plastic cup, and he dutifully drank it, saying, this is absolutely delicious. It is the best tea I have ever had in my life. And the little girl was beaming with delight. And then suddenly the father thought to himself, hang on, where did she get the water from? She's not tall enough to reach the tap in the kitchen. And he put down his cup and thought, I better not drink any more. And he said to her, uh, where exactly did you get the water for the tea? And she stared back innocently to him, a big smile on her face. And she said, Daddy, I'll show you where I got the water for the tea. She took him to the bathroom, warning rising, uh, and she shouted, I got it from the water bowl, of course, as she pointed at the toilet. Now, tempted to say it serves him right uh, for, for indulging, uh, indulging this, but uh, you know as well as I do the, uh, the saying in life uh, that goes, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. And this was definitely a case of not knowing whether to laugh or cry. Now, very often in life, is it not true that we can be confronted with a mixture of emotions, with emotions that, on the face of it, can seem to be totally contradictory? So, it might be that you're absolutely delighted to hear that your best friend has got the job of their dreams, but at the same time, saddened that it means that your best friend will have to move to a new place. Or it might be that you are over the moon, that you have been given a new job, but at the same time utterly terrified that you just don't have enough experience to do it. Or you might be smiling at treasured memories of so many times spent with a great friend in your life, someone you love, would do anything for, while sitting at their funeral, crying your heart out. And these contradictory emotions that we all go through, they can unsettle us, they can drain us. And they do all of that, I think, because they tend to happen at some of the most important times in our lives. But when we experience a mixture of emotions that can be seemingly contradictory on the face of it, these can actually be some of the most powerful forces for transformation in our lives if we enter into them if we don't deny them, if we don't try to move on beyond them, but if we allow God 
to draw us closer to Himself in and through them. This morning is the first Sunday in Lent. We embark traditionally in the church upon a season of penitence, a season of reminding ourselves of our earthly mortality, and yet we also embark on a journey that will lead us to the cross, and not only to the cross, but through the cross to resurrection and to the hope of eternal life. This is a very, very powerful season in the church's year. It's a season in which God invites us into those deep, deep places of who we are, and He invites us to understand the reality of who we really are if we follow Him. And so, I think there's something very fitting about the fact that this story that we heard from Ezra this morning, in this story we have the, the temple at last being rebuilt, and yet we're told at the end of the story that there is both joy and weeping. And that seems like a very odd mix, doesn't it? I mean, if you sort of picture yourself that you were a bystander there on that day, this big momentous event uh, was going on, a moment of renewal in so many ways, and yet you hear shouts for joy, praise in the background, but you also hear weeping, sadness. It seems so odd. I think the context for it can help us to understand this mix of emotions a little bit better. What we know from our reading in this series on uh, In Immerse is that God had blessed the people of Israel enormously. King David had taken the city of Jerusalem as his capital. His son Solomon had built a magnificent temple in Jerusalem. The people went there to meet with God. And yet, as we have heard, particularly over the last two weeks, the history of the people of Israel is also a history of turning away from God. It is also a history of starting to worship all sorts of idols. And even though God warns them many, many times to turn back to Him, they do not listen. And so He sends in the Babylonian army. They destroy Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. The people are taken into exile in Babylon. Fifty years later, the Babylonian empire is conquered by the Persians and their King Cyrus finally allows the conquered people of Israel to go back to Jerusalem. What is the first thing they do when they go back to Jerusalem? It is to set about rebuilding the temple. Why? Because they long to offer sacrifices to God. And they long to offer sacrifices to God after this experience that they have been through because they had understood that it was their sin, that it was their broken relationship with God that had led them into exile in the first place. And now that they are released from exile, their first priority, their first priority as penitent people is to rebuild that relationship with God by reinstating the temple. You can imagine how they felt to have got to this point. They'd been in exile for all those years. You can imagine the challenge, the pain, the suffering, 
The wandering of God had forgotten about them. The wandering of God would keep his promises. And now this day had finally arrived. Deep, deep thankfulness that God had not forgotten them, that God had been faithful to them, that they had had this opportunity to lay the foundations for a new temple, symbolizing a fresh start. And so they organize this fantastic worship event with lots of music, loud singing from the Psalms, that wonderful, wonderful verse. He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. This is utter joy that they are feeling that day. Joy not just that their exile is over, but joy that deep down they had got to understand that God had used their experience to deepen their trust in Him. And He had used their experience to show them that He is always writing a bigger picture in the story, a bigger story in the lives of His people than any of us can ever see. He and He alone knows the beginning from the end. We do not understand the fullness of what God is doing in our lives. But we need to develop trust. And it is trust that God develops through the circumstances that we all go through. I think it's a reminder to us today as well that if and when we go through something that feels like an exile. It's in there, those very seasons of our lives that we should not turn from God, but it's in those very seasons of our lives that we need to renew our trust in God. And we need to renew our trust in God because it's in those very seasons of our lives, those seasons of challenge, that God is very often writing the next chapter of our lives. So yes, there is great joy. And yet, in the midst of all of this music and the shouting is the sound of weeping from some of the older members of the community. Now, it's been suggested that some of the weeping may have been because that they felt that this new temple would be a pale imitation of the former one. There may be some truth in that, of course. Uh, the dimensions were not that much smaller. So I think there's something else going on here. Because in this moment, as they saw the foundations of the new temple, they must surely have been overcome by the enormity of what they had been through and the fact that it was their generation's sin that had led them to lose the first temple. What they are going through is what today we call a form of lament. Lament is like an expression of sorrow. It's like an expression of pain or grief or mourning over a particular experience either in our lives the lives of those that we love, or in this community or world, that causes us deep pain. And we don't talk about lament very often, 
And yet the reality is that we all live in a broken world. We all live in a world where the reality is that there is sickness, there is sadness, there is sin. But this season of Lent reminds us that in Jesus Christ, God has overcome all of that. And his invitation to us is to place the sadness and place the sickness and place the sin and place the brokenness into his nail-pierced hands and to allow him to take us beyond all of that into the place of forgiveness, of hope, of renewal, and of eternal life. To lament brokenness is not to dwell in sadness. To lament brokenness is to accept God's invitation to lead us into a very powerful moment of encounter with Him where we experience His blessing, we experience His release, and we experience the fullness and the freedom of all that He has for us. That is why this final verse in today's reading is so important. The joyful shouting and the weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard in the distance. Weeping and joy do not have to be mutually exclusive. They are not different things that never come together. Jesus himself wept for his friend Lazarus when he died. He wept because he loved his friend. He wept because from Adam onwards, death had entered into this broken world. And yet, weeping was not the end of the story. Because he also promised Martha that day, in a sign of the resurrection that is promised to all of us who put our trust in him, your brother will rise again. And so he did. Weeping and joy. Lent and Easter. Death and resurrection. And in a curious twist of fate this year, Ash Wednesday and St. Valentine's Day. Ashes. Ashes in the Bible symbolize grief and repentance. They remind us that we are all part of a story of sin and brokenness. And yet Lent is a very special time when we are reminded to turn away from all of that, to turn towards God who has overcome all of that, to bring our brokenness to him and to allow him to replace our brokenness with reconciliation, with wholeness, with hope, all of which he and he alone has the capacity to bring out of the dust of what we used to be and the dust of our past. It is a time when we are reminded of the reality of death, but only as we await the promise of being filled with new life. It is a time of looking back at Jesus' first earthly ministry, all the while 
We pray your kingdom come, come Lord Jesus, and we look to the promise of his return. Let us enter into the fullness of who we are, the fullness of what God has promised for us this Lent. And let us be those, let us be those who allow God, who invite God to take our faith to a whole new level this Lent as we bring the pain, the sorrow, the brokenness, the regrets, the guilts that all of us will go through to him in lament and allow him to meet us and fill us with his peace. Lament that there is so much evil and so much persecution in the world around us right now. And pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Pray for God's intervention. But don't just stop there. Thank him. Thank him and rejoice that he is writing a much bigger story than you will ever see in any news bulletin on the TV at night. And thank him that over two million people are giving their lives to Jesus Christ each and every year. Lament the state of the church in some nations in this world and pray for God's revival. Pray that God would raise a new generation of leaders. But rejoice too that God is writing a story that is so much bigger than all of that and that literally thousands of people are being baptized every single week as they go under the waters of death and proclaim that they are dead to sin. Lament. Lament that people you know. Lament that the people in your life that you care so much about have not yet put their faith in Jesus and pray for their salvation and keep praying for their salvation. Be persistent in prayers for their salvation. But don't just stop there. Trust, give thanks that God is at work doing more than all we could ever ask or imagine. And rejoice that he is freeing people from addiction, from slavery, from illness and disease, and restoring relationships every single day of the week. Lament if you're going through illness. Lament if you're going through bereavement. Lament if you feel a sense of heavy isolation. But as you lament, rejoice that God has promised us that these things, all of these things, are temporary. We are people of the new covenant. We are not building a temple today because we don't need a temple. Jesus Christ is everything the temple stood for. And through faith in him, we become adopted into God's spiritual family as his sons and daughters. 
And the result is that we too become part of that great story that God is writing. We become part of His plans for the whole of history. We do not need to lay the foundations of a physical temple because we are part of a massive spiritual temple that God began building at the cross and continues to build today. When Jesus Christ went to His death, lamenting our sin, but loving us so much that he would end this practice of animal sacrifice and become the slain lamb, the perfect sacrifice once and for all. The Gospels tell us that at that very moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And that symbolizes that the temple is no longer the heart of worship. Because from that moment on, Every believer, all of us in this room today who are believers, have access to God directly through Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself is the new temple, the most holy place. No curtain and no barrier and no sin and no darkness will ever bar us from a relationship with Him. God's promise to us is that one day we will not just see this great spiritual temple that he is building. We will dwell in it with him forever. And in that place, there will be no more sin and no more suffering and no more death and no more sadness and no more evil. Until we wait, there will be much that will make us weep. But when we weep, let's do so in an attitude of lament. Let's do so in an attitude of turning to God, of trusting God, of asking to be filled with his hope, of trusting that he is indeed working all things out, and that one day lament also will be no more because he has secured for us through his life and death and resurrection and ascension the complete reversal of all brokenness. So do lament the state of this world. Do lament for that pain that you are carrying but do not allow weeping and sorrow to be the sum total of your lament. As you share with God how much you grieve, as you share with him and trust him and open up to him about how much you grieve for the brokenness that you see around you, for the brokenness that you experience in your own life, poverty, conflict, war, illness, psychological wounds, emotional wounds. Enter deeper into his concern for all of these things. Allow yourself to experience his love that has overcome all of these things. As you turn to him in lament, you will encounter him in completely new ways. You will encounter him waiting there to fill you with hope, 
waiting there to renew your trust, waiting there to fill you with more of his grace and his mercy and his peace. Because as Jesus Christ prepared to take on all of the brokenness of this world, he too was deeply saddened. He too turned to the Father in lament. And yet, and yet, he opened his arms wide on that cross. He allowed the nails to be driven in. He allowed the spear to be driven in. He allowed the shame to be put upon him because he didn't just feel sadness when he looked at us that first Good Friday. He allowed the nails to be driven in because he felt something that was and is still today so much stronger than sadness, and that is love. Sadness and love. Two emotions that can seem contradictory, but two emotions that come together powerfully at the cross. There's a wonderful song that's been written about all of this. It's called, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. We're going to sing it together in a few moments' time. There's a verse in it that sums all of this up beautifully, and the verse goes like this. See, from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? We tend to sing that song on Good Friday. Uh, it's a song that, uh, when we sing it together, is a very powerful song. It's very powerful because the emotions that it expresses can leave us drained. But they are not unfamiliar to Jesus. They remind us that he has been through all of this. And he has been through all of this so that we would never have to dwell in the place only of sorrow. What are you holding on to in your life that is causing you only pain? What are you holding on to in your life that every time you think about it, it causes you only sorrow? What are you holding on to in your life that every time you dwell on it, it causes you only tears? What are you dwelling on in your life and every time you think about it, it causes you only fear. This Lent, bring all of that to the Lord. Bring all of that to the Lord and allow him to turn those things into this feeling of being overcome by his love because you will meet him there when you bring those things to him. 
Do not let them fester. Do not let them dwell on. Do not think that somehow you will get over them in your own strength. You will not. Bring those things to the Lord this Lent. Ask him to meet you in the place of pain and sorrow and open your arms wide and ask him to fill you with his love, a love that is stronger than sorrow and sadness and pain and fear and weeping and mourning. And give thanks. Give thanks. Because in Jesus Christ, we have one whose love is so amazing and so divine that, as the song says, it demands our soul, our life, and our very all. Let's pray together.